Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, Ricky Gervais and the cast of Afterlife on the new and indeed final series of Afterlife, which has just landed on Netflix. Mark Royal reviews the new sequel to the much-loved horror movie Scream, as well as Peter Dinklage in Serrano. Plus, we've copies of Malignant on DVD to give away. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Farty, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well and soldiering on through this January. And as Blue Monday approaches, I hope you're far from blue and that you're well. Now, in TV, I was late getting to the party about this, I suppose, but a lot happens in December and early January in terms of TV schedules and all, so bear with me. Do they know? The family? Know what? Who you were in your previous life? I'm not Cassie anymore. Life is over. I'm gonna see you. Long time since I've been in here. Do you want to hear from Cassie? Spent 17 years of my life looking for her. Well, well, well. Lurian. My favorite detective. What's the urgency? A missing person. Stuart Green. He's back. He's dead. Apparently not. Two men go missing exactly 17 years ago to the day after Stuart Green disappeared. Coincidence, my whore. You need to stay away from her. Megan. Do you? Do you know she's changed her name? She is now Megan Pierce. You're going to keep you and your family safe. How exactly? These people were last seen within a week or two of each other. And all the missing men were connected. Which means... It's a serial killer. Now that is a clip of Stay Close, which is, I think, as the, certainly at the time of talking to you, number one in Ireland on Netflix. You may have watched the entire series of this and I'm wasting your time telling you about it but you know bear with me there's a lot to watch so maybe you haven't Stay Close is the new Netflix version of a Harlan Coben novel Harlan Coben you may remember well he's written lots of books but his book and the film version of it, or the TV series version of it, I should say, The Stranger was on Netflix last year, I think it was, or possibly the year before. I get confused. We've just turned into a new year. And uh, it was wildly successful. It was plotted. It was a thriller about this woman who reappears in a life and a family falling apart. And the plot was kind of ridiculous but it and daft. But it was very watchable. Uh, and the new one, Stay Close, is pretty much the same. I've watched four episodes of this so far. Kush Jumbo plays a woman who, as you heard from the clip there, is hiding a previous life where something strange happened. Some strangeness from that previous life shows up and a load of dead bodies show up as well. It's literally like you're walking down a street in an old cobbled town in Italy and there's a turn every few feet because it just constantly hops around. Again, it's very daft, but I have to say it's it's beguiling television in the fact that you can't wait to see what happens. Even though 
halfway through I feel I may be being sold a pup I'm still enjoying it very much and, and devouring it as, as, with whatever little time I have as is my wife uh, James Nesbitt is in it as well playing a cop all these dead bodies are showing up and he's of the opinion that maybe they're all connected Richard Armitage is in it as well as I mentioned Eddie Izzard plays a lawyer it's again like The Stranger this kind of middle class England even though I think the original books were all set in America transported to England middle class England white picket fences but there's a darkness there daft but highly entertaining do let me know if you might be watching Stay Close on Netflix now just en route to Ricky Gervais and Afterlife also on Netflix let me just play a tiny bit of this no self confidence but you see the women takes it on Though it's, it's hurting. All the S's are hard. Though it's hurting, hurting, me. hurting me. Hurting. Now it's hurting. History. Don't make her like the chef from the Muppets. Though it's hurting me. Hurty, hurty, hurty. He was Swedish. He wasn't in ABBA. Now that is the great Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon there from one of the series, I think the first one, of The Trip. Now this is old television that started in 2010. There were three more series. They turned them into movies then. They packaged them as a movie in the States. They went on a trip to Italy, Spain and Greece. In case you don't know, Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan play fictionalized versions of themselves, basically going to dinner in all these countries in Europe and chatting to each other and taking the mick out of of each other and doing impressions, endless impressions. Why am I talking to you about this? Because I present a series on Pat Kenny most Thursdays or every second Thursday called Boxed, where we talk about some great TV from the golden age of the box set, I guess you would say. And we were doing the trip this week, which Pat hadn't watched, but really wanted to after we chatted. And I was getting clips and reminding myself about it all and watching large sections of it. And I just forgotten how joyous it is, uh, how clever it is, how unlike most things you see on TV is, because it's really not trying to be anything other than how I briefly described it there. It's soulful as well, because Bryden and Coogan are kind of you know, concerned about their place in the world and the personalized, but also their careers. So there's a lot of heart to it as well, but it is absolutely hilarious. Uh, you know, I was saying, I think it's quite male and that I know I have a lot of friends sitting down at a dinner table and endlessly doing impressions. I, I think a lot of guys behave like that, but a lot of women got in touch saying that they really like it as well. It's a great show. So maybe I was being pejorative. It is a great show. You can catch it on Amazon Prime. You can also catch the movie versions of them where they put all the episodes together on all sorts of video player on demand jobbies. So if you haven't watched the trip, do yourself a favor. You really should. Now we've copies of Malignant on DVD to give away. This movie was in the cinemas late last year. Director James Wan returns to his roots with this new original horror thriller. A woman is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that the waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. And it stars Annabelle Wallace. As I say, we have five copies to give away. If you want to be in with a chance of winning, simply text the word Let's just go with screen tonight. Malignant is a hard thing to type in. I'm not even sure if I can spell it off the top of my head. So text the word screen followed by your name to 53106 for your chance to win a copy of Malignant on DVD. And Anne-Marie Kane will pick a winner. Now, let's get to the main event. Then I feel her inside me. 
all the time. Like she's still part of me, guiding me. Ah, oh, it's weird. That's because you're human and nothing really makes sense. Look at you, Kierkegaard. It's okay to have feelings, you know. Things that aren't logical. Science makes us understand how to stay alive longer. Feelings give us the reason to want to. Or not want to. I was doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, no, that's a clip from Afterlife, season three of Afterlife. And of course, you heard Ricky Gervais there talking to the great English actress Penelope Winton. I see she's actually a dame now, Penelope Winton. She's someone he's befriended in a graveyard because if you've watched the first two seasons of Afterlife, you'll know it's all about Ricky Gervais trying to get over the death of his adored wife. He works as a journalist in a fictional English town, a middle-sized English town called Tambury, and he works as a journalist for a, a local newspaper, and he really isn't sure he wants to go on living, and he kind of has this secret power, as he describes it, where he'll say anything because he just doesn't care anymore. The first two seasons were very well received. I thought they were great. They were really poignant as well as being very funny and, and they really spoke to people about grief and trying to live with grief. He had previously said season three wasn't necessarily on the cards, but it's back and it lands on Netflix this Friday, the 14th of January, all six episodes. The show moves on a bit. He's still quite depressed and, and really struggling with his grief. He's still working in the newspaper, but Things change a bit, and I won't say any more than that, but it is a great series. What I also like about it is the characters who populate it really come into their own, some of them, that their story arcs improve. So let's get to this. So I got to talk to Ricky Gervais, also the chap Matt, the editor of the newspaper that he works for, and also his brother-in-law, and it was Matt's sister who passed away, who was married to Ricky's character, Tony. So Matt's character is played by Tom Baisden, good English actor. And Ricky Gervais's character, Tony, is obviously played by Ricky Gervais. Lovely to see you. Thanks a lot for chatting to me. Ricky, I know a bit about your career and I've heard you talk before in relation to the office and extras about kind of the faulty towers rule that you had perfect shows in six episode per series, maybe a Christmas special, and that's it. Now I'm awfully glad you made another series of afterlife, but were you in any way hesitant, you know, guided by your own rules to go back to the well? Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, it's only because I did two, two series and a, a special. Uh, so it's only an hour and a half more material, really. Mm. But I still was worried about doing a third and, um, and I, I, uh, I said, I'm not going to do it unless it's demanded, unless it, that series two goes down a storm. And uh, Netflix, you know, uh, said it had. Um, and I thought I could this time because there's more drama, there's more characters, there's more than one place. It's about bigger things. Um, and uh, I, I thought I could sneak in, you know, another hour and a half. Uh, um, but... Um, yeah, and it seemed it still seems great. It's still only eighteen episodes. Now that's yeah. that's not even a whole season in America, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it is crazy. I'd, I, you know, of course I'd love to do more. It'd be so much fun, and yeah. But I think going out on a high is the right thing to do artistically. Um, 
and uh, never say never, and you can always return. Um, but uh, at this moment, I think I, I couldn't. I don't think we could have wrapped it up better than we did. Well, I was just going to say, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but the last episode is absolutely fantastic. I was saying to the guys earlier, I was an emotional wreck. I thought I'd have to call an ambulance for my wife. She was undone. It is, you know, it's just, it's gorgeous. And it's going to be one of those, you know, when they do these top 10 lists of final episodes, did you have the ending in your head kind of from day one? No. Okay. Uh, Well, I'm glad I asked then. (laughs) It was the thing we talked about most. Um, There were, there were two or three and, uh, you know, extremes in every direction uh, were how to end it. Um, uh, I think I chose the right one, uh, and without spoilers, it's. Uh, I, I think it's it's. Um, you know, the, the first, the 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 whole the whole season, the first, second, third seasons, you know, they're they're all they're all sad and they deal in grief and, you know, uh, but I think overall there's an arc of hope. Mm, I think definitely, that's the important thing that it asks the big question. You know, if you lose everything, is life still worth living? And I think the answer is yes, as long as there's hope. Yeah. And the other thing about it is, uh, it, it basically says life goes on. Just life goes on. And that's it. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, yeah. and, uh, um, we all die, but not today. I think that was the that was the feel. That was the mood of it. Yeah. Yeah, very Samuel Beckett kind of, you know, we can't go on, we must go on. But uh, sorry to Irish it up on you and everything. But, uh. No, no, but that is true. And there is something melancholy about it. But I just think there's, you know, again, I, I can't do the spoiler, but yeah, um, it, there, there, there is sadness. But I just think people, I think it's uplifting in a weird way because comedy at its best says we're all idiots, we're all losers. So that's all right. Yeah. And, uh, We've just got to get on with it because it's all we've got. Yeah. We can't just change the way life works. No. You know, we're, we, we're here for the experience. We, we're not in control. We don't choose our own brain. We don't, we, 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 we can't, we don't even choose our own thoughts. We're here. We're an experience machine. So you've just got to, you just got to be grateful for what you've got. And there's something about setting, uh, you know, so much at the fair at the end as well, where you get that sense of the kind of timelessness of continuity mm. the thing that people have been doing over the centuries that's right it does it makes you it gives you a sense of wider perspective about these people and this whole community and you know i think that's it i think that you know that fair has been going for 500 years and uh um in in 100 years time all those people there today will be dead but there will be a a a a, a new set of people and and that's and that's it and i don't think that is sad i think it's Mm. beautiful i think that life is precious and finite makes it more beautiful genuinely you know and no one wants to die um, but uh, I, I, I just think that there is something beautiful about the way nature works. And even if it, it's not, there's nothing we can do about it. No, I know. Yeah, exactly. It's coming, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Tom, you know, in your character's fascinating because he's, you know, he's his guardian angel in a way, Tony's, but you feel like you need to stand up to him more. You know, you should have sacked him maybe from the newspaper. Is, is, is that how you see him or what's your take on him? I mean, I think, I think Matt's always struggled to know how's best to deal with Tony. And there's mm-hmm. a degree of tough love. There's a degree of sort of trying to give him home truths and trying to sort of make him behave himself and be more professional at work and everything. And then there's also just the kind of understanding that, that he has to be that way. And maybe even the slight envy that he gets to play out his emotions in mm. the way that Matt just 
hasn't managed to do really until this third series. He's just kind of kept everything repressed and 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 just tried to be stoic about about uh, particularly how he feels about losing a sister. I just thought as well that there is something of a family dynamic where you're the parent, but I'm the older, angrier, more grizzled bloke. So you are like dealing with a big, fat 60 year old Do you know what I mean? You're trying to be parental, but I'm not accepting it. Yeah. No, you're frustrated. Yeah, that, you you yeah. can't be you, in charge. You don't accept the chain of command. I don't, ex- I don't accept the chain of command. It shall not stand. Boss, yeah. the fact that you go, don't be late, I go, I'm going to be late. Yeah. You, you have no authority yeah. over me, yeah. but you're trying to be lovely and parental. And I've just, I just thought that. That's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm spoiled. I'm sad. I'm sad. You know, I'm going to drink. I'm yeah. going to be late. But, but then what it allows... For my character is to just not think about himself, is to is to kind of ignore his own his own emotions, his yeah. own grief. Because yeah. that's someone else's grief. Because at the at the beginning there's a ticking clock. You go, I've got I've just got to save this idiot's life. Yeah. You know, then then we can talk about it. But yeah. at the moment, I've just got to save his life. Yeah. You know, then I'll grieve, then I'll worry about yeah. it. So and, yeah. And sorry, the, the the sporting contests you kind of get into. Did you play any of those out in real life? And and who do you yeah. think would well, win? Uh, oh, <laughs> well, I, I, cho- I chose sports that I knew I was okay at. Okay. I'm, I'm only good at racket sports. I, I'm not really good at anything else. So I chose those. And I, I knew Tom could play. Um, and uh, it, we wanted it to be real. But of course, you know, uh, uh, the, the joke is that he should win. He's younger and fitter and and he should win. But I, I've got this... This this male sort of aggression <laughs> makes me think I cannot let this puny idiot beat me, <laughs> and so that's what's funny because obviously he's done it to try and save my life. Yeah. Like but he's the one that's pent up. He's yeah. the one with all the yeah. uh, the repressed stuff. He's the, I'm quite zen about it. I'm swearing and I, I'm getting it out of my system. But he's the one that's pent up. It comes back to haunt him. Tell me this. The C word is used a lot. Uh, and in one episode, it becomes kind of a motif. And it's used really well. And I saw a video you did uh, over Christmas on Twitter. And you were bemoaning certain people in number 10. And uh, you use that C word as well. Is it Because, you know, that's nitroglycerine, that word. Is it your feeling that, you know, when it just comes to certain people it's the only word that'll do i think there's uh, what, what people say to me like um like on twitter when i you know say about someone who's tortured a dog to death and i use that word and uh someone says yeah i agree with the sentiment but you know do you have to use that word and i say i'm, I'm up for suggestions and no <laughs> yeah. one's ever suggested a better <laughs> word yeah there's not there's if you invent one I'll use it, but there's not a better word in some circumstances. I also like the fact that it's so flexible. That can be an insult or it can be a term yeah. of affection. I was, I was in uh, Edinburgh once at the festival and there were two policemen walking along and one went, uh, they went, ah, Mr. Javis, you're a funny <laughs> And I went, thank you very much. <laughs> Last thing. Uh, the show's been wildly successful, which we all know. I'm wondering, did you get a sense it was particularly well received in Ireland. And you can answer no, of course, but th- you know, you've probably heard this. They say we do death pretty well in Ireland. You know, we have yeah. long wakes and it can go on for a week kind of, I've been at those kind of funerals. Have you had a sense of that? Cause it has been an adored show on this side of the water. I think that's exactly the way to do it. You celebrate their life, mm. celebrate their life. And I, and I celebrate life warts and all. And I think that's about, uh, comedy does that it, it's best it's saying we're all idiots so you know we can laugh about it and 
I, I, I've always been a fan of humanity, warts and all. I, I, I think, as I say, you, you, you can't help what you are, who you are. You, you, you don't choose your own brain. You don't choose where you're born. Uh, you know, you don't choose when you, you know, how long you live. So you better enjoy it and, and, uh, and celebrate it every day. I think, I, I, I use this in, in there, Tony says, you know, I, I think life is beautiful and amazing and precious because it is finite. That's mm. what makes it so beautiful. You haven't got long. So uh, just, it's amazing we're even here. It's amazing that we exist at all. It's incredible. Yeah. Life's amazing. And then you die. <laughs> Well, look, that's a perfect place to end, I guess. Uh, thanks very much for talking to me, guys. Thank you. Ricky Gervais there being philosophical and funny. I've an awful lot of time for that man. I just think he uh, does stuff in TV that nobody else does really. Afterlife, even if you don't like it, and some people don't, you have to admit that it's not like anything out there in terms of the way it deals with the serious topic of death and also makes really... I guess you'd call them off-colour jokes about everything under the sun in, in classic Gervais fashion. So, and you also heard me talking to Tom Basden there, who, who plays his brother-in-law. And Afterlife is now streaming on Netflix season three. And I meant what I said about the final episode. Man, it's up there. It really is. After the break, more of the cast of Afterlife. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy. This is News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, before the break, you heard me talking to Ricky Gervais and Tom Baisden about the new season of Afterlife, which is on Netflix from this Friday, the 14th of January. That's season three of Afterlife. Now, I mentioned before the break that the characters who surround Ricky Gervais's character come into their own. They, they were more, not that they were badly written in the previous two series but there's more of a story arc to them as well so you may know if you watch afterlife his best friend and i in in some ways the guy who's looking out for him a lot is his friend lenny who's the photographer in the newspaper played by a really good english actor tony way who was in game of thrones as well joe hartley who's been on this show a couple of times a great english actress she was in a movie last year called sweetheart she plays lenny's girlfriend and now fiance who's a funny character you know kind of daft at times but in this season again gets to do a bit more i would say and then diane morgan a lot of people know her as a comedian she was in motherland she plays the kind of quirky friend in motherland she plays kath who's in charge of advertising in the newspaper who has a kind of frosty relationship with ricky gervais's character but she you know she uh comes into her own a bit more as well in this. So I got to talk to Diane Morgan, Tony Way, and Joe Hartley. So it was a four-way conversation. Have a listen to this. I was going to make a very afterlife joke and say we're about to have a four-way, but that would be completely inappropriate, you know? <laughs> it would. It's good. It's all right. We're okay. We're all it's friends. A, yes, exactly. Well said. So listen, uh, Diane, maybe if I could start with you. It seems to me that in the, in the third series, every character, but yours in particular, there's been a a growth or a change and you're kind of having a I don't want to give a spoiler but a, an existential crisis of sort and it's very compelling were you kind of delighted when you got the script and you saw where your character was going to go this time around yeah absolutely delighted as an actor you know to be doing something a little bit more with Kath uh and a, a bit more of a challenge you know to do these sort of sad emotional scenes mm. but having it still 
um, ring true with with her character because she's a silly character. So mm. it makes it difficult in a way to do these sort of more emotional scenes because you've got to stay as Kath. So that was a challenge, but it was great, and hopefully, hopefully I pulled it off. You so, have. You certainly did. And then some, you have one of the worst first dates I've ever seen. And I watch a lot of TV with a school, with a school teacher. That, that yeah. was just brilliant. It's horrific, isn't it? Though? Yeah. It's really genuinely, genuinely, I was on edge with him. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of improvisation in that. And I, I really didn't know what he was going to say next a lot of the time. Yeah. Okay. You are slouching a little. So if you could sit up a oh, bit. Yeah. 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 That, that's, that's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> I do slouch though. Well, <laughs> I didn't. We're all, all set up now. Yeah, we're all set up now. And yeah. Tony, uh, I was joking, by the way, about the slouching. Just so we're uh, no, but I do hate slouching. Slouched. Tony, <laughs> your character as well has a development in that. I know it was always seen that, you know, Lenny has Tony's back, but in this series, you really seem like his best friend and maybe one of the closest people in his whole life. Is that the way you saw it? Uh, definitely, yeah. I think that, um, I think Lenny's seen it go up and down a few times. Like if you mm. think of the, the life of the characters before and after the show, mm. he's seen he's seen the character of Tony get much better in series two and, and almost pull through. Yeah. And I think he's always worried that it's gonna dip again. So he's always got his eye on him, like just to just to see because they don't talk about it very much they're very i've spoken about this before a lot of men don't talk about this sort of stuff at all uh guilty of it myself and so he's in his own way got tony's back and he wants to make sure he's okay mm -hmm. so he's always a little bit worried that it's gonna so when there's flippant jokes i think about he says some some things about dying or you know i won't be there then he gets genuinely worried because he's like oh, we've been here before and he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's trying his best to sort of help his friend through. Uh, even if it's that, even if it's just being a punch bag for him. Yeah. He's sort of happy to be there. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's developed through. He's just sort of stayed, I think he's one of the few things that stays the same for Tony as well. He's always the same old Lenny. He's quite You're his rock. I'm his rock, yeah. Yes, <laughs> indeed. And Joe, uh, your, your character, again, there's development there in that she seems more, philosophical uh than she did in the first two you know and particularly and i don't want to give a spoiler about the last episode but the last episode is one of the greatest last episodes i've ever seen it was just it was brilliant and i was an emotional wreck and my wife was in bits but you 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 kind of come into bloom and you seem more intelligent and as i say philosophical than you did in the first two series yeah no that was a gift really from ricky that's his um writing because that little monologue that we do i think it's episode five i'm not sure six or five um it is a moment where i guess she she's given another dimension she's she's not missed anything and obviously she's seen this in him and she takes a moment to just be frank with him and kind and i think that kindness from strangers she's a bit of a stranger to him because it's lenny's girlfriend but it's it was a beautiful monologue that when I read the script, I just was so moved and I emailed Ricky and said, this is beautiful, thank you. Because she is a, a silly character. She's brought in for comedy, she overshares, she says things she yeah. shouldn't. She's, you think she's a bit like, these just meet. And then, you know, me and Lenny just meet all of a sudden, it's just working out. But I think on reflection, answering these questions, just when you were saying, when I leave the office after I've shared that kindness, Lenny then, 
actually finishes it off by saying something for the first time you only see him open his heart and he says she's been through a lot so that whole sequence is so mm. beautiful and Ricky had sort of I think from us improvising and doing the you know the rehearsals he notices you as a person and he wanted to give the character that you think's not so smart the moment of wisdom because you shouldn't ever judge anybody you know yeah. it's also it's the way um, it's a it's a genuine natural way you meet people, isn't it? If mm. you meet someone briefly in the street and the, you just recognise something brief about them, like they've done something silly or they've got oh that's the person with that hair, and you meet them another time and you, you layers are revealed and they become yeah. a three D person and, and I think that's the way he's done it with you. It's quite clever. Originally you're just you're the strange woman who's got the weird tongue. Yeah, yeah. And then but you won't if you meet you again. There's more to you and, mm. and I think that's. The way we meet people in real life is and the she, way Ricky's done it in the show yeah. very cleverly, actually. She doesn't over-egg it. She just drops it there with him and leaves, and it's yeah. helpful to him. She's not yeah. giving him a lecture. It's just a moment of, yeah, and then it's just lovely. It, it was lovely that. It was, and, and you don't have to be long, does it? We, everybody kind of gets that. We were talking about it before. All the characters have got their own journey, mm -hmm. and he's very generous because it's not just about him. It's about this community. It's a love story about this community and, you know, it's very hopeful, ordinary. The, the show has, as we've been discussing, a huge amount of emotion and then hilarious jokes and repeated use of the C word. And on the set, is it like Ricky Gervais sets, people know them as being a lot of fun. I spoke to you guys actually for series two and that came across. It's so much fun. Yet at the same time, this is a show about, you know, inconsolable grief so what 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 is the set actually like when it's that heavy yet you know the c word is dropped every few minutes i, I well i it can be emotional because there's these big emotional monologues but uh, it's tempered with this comedy mm. and uh and i think that's that's how he gets away with such big emotional scenes is that it's tempered with this yeah. comedy and yeah. the feeling on set when there's a big scene like that coming isn't depressing or quieter, really. When the scene's being filmed, maybe it is, but it could be any other day. You know, yeah. It could be filming, you know, something ridiculous, like the, you know, the, the rice pudding eating scene or something like that. There'd be no difference in the day oh, until yeah. the scene's filmed. In fact, even that bit of the scene, you, you could be laughing along, then suddenly Ricky cries. Or, yeah, and then we'll and all go, go, we'll all oh, go. God. Well, that happened with me. I was I was in a scene dropping some cake off in season two, and then I walk out, and, and Ricky and Sandy have a scene, and I was watching the monitor, just sat mm. there, and all of a sudden, he's telling us something, and he cries, and I burst into tears, and they could hear me, and I, I was like, just come off the set, and it is beautiful, and I think generally, the days I've been in, I'm not in as much, but the atmosphere on set's it's beautiful and it's fun and everybody's there for one purpose to make it as good as possible. And it's a yeah. good feeling. Isn't There's it? nobody there that doesn't want to go to work to have fun. Mm -hmm. And that's not no. always the case. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said no tough spots earlier. No tough spots. <laughs> no, no what? Toss pots. No toss pots. Wonderful. That's, that's no always bad good apples. to hear. I liked the bad apples one better. No bad yeah. apples. No bad apples. Yeah. Okay. Fair. I think I prefer toss pots, but that's a sign of your <laughs> class and my depravity. Tony, you're not going to remember this, nor should you. But the last time we spoke for Afterlife 2, 
you had a newborn baby in the house. You just yes. left when you came on screen. And the reason why that stuck in my head was my third child had also just been born and I was uh, yeah. out, out of my head with sleep deprivation. So <laughs> yeah. I just ha I just have to ask, how are you doing with, with baby? Much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, sleep deprivation is just my own now. Just me staying up <laughs> watching TV. Okay. Having too many beers. Um, no, it's all going very well. How are you doing? I've been sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm fine. Thank you no, no, I mean, I was this isn't about me. I'm fine. I was actually in my, I was in her bedroom last time we spoke, I think. See, oh, that was yes. where my Zoom was set up because we yeah. had, she'd taken over my office. <laughs> that, that makes sense. And Diane, just finally then, and I hope Netflix won't mind, but I should say to other parents, you are in the most wonderful BBC show called Motherland about feeling bad as a parent. And I just want to say it's it, during that sleep deprivation, we, we watched <laughs> it on loop and it was wonderful. So uh, I know a lot the of parents mothers. of Ireland, I thank you. And fathers. I know it's good for mothers. It's good for fathers. Yeah, well. I know a lot of parents run up to me in the street and say, oh, thank God for that. That's really helped me, <laughs> yeah. you know, because everyone's trying to be perfect, you know, perfect parents. But this show is like, you don't have to be perfect. No one is. It's fine. Yeah. Well, look, Afterlife is a pretty perfect uh, finale to a wonderful show. It's great to talk to the three of you and long may you slouch. Oh, thanks very much. Thank you. Oh, here he is. Told you to wait outside. Give me a lift to a meeting. We're not an item, obviously. I just like turning up in a Rolls Royce. He knows that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, works out well. What's in it for you, Colin? People think he's got a girlfriend. But he knows that can never be the case. Shame. What with the Rolls Royce and him being a self-made millionaire in a nice block? Would have been perfect. Not for the obvious. What? The face! Duh! Yeah, the face. Even my mum calls me the ugly one. You're okay with that, Colin? It's heartbreaking. I'm destroyed. I used to wish I was dead growing up. What can you do? Exactly. And that's why I want everyone to know he's not my boyfriend. Maybe you should wear a chauffeur's hat. Or a chauffeur's mask. Yes, a little clip there from Afterlife, featuring some of the people you heard me talking to before that clip. Diane Morgan, Joe Hartley and Tony Way, all actors and actresses in the third season of Ricky Gervais's Afterlife. In short, it's very good. Now, we better get back to movies, though, right? So, up next, Mark Ryle on the new version of Scream and also Serrano. Now, you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, we better take a look at the week's new releases. Delighted to be joined by our resident critic, Mark Ryle, to look at a new version of sorts, I guess, of Scream. Yes, that uh, much loved, it's fair to say, certainly in the early days, horror movie, and also a new version of the Serrano de Bergerac story, Serrano. And Serrano, in this one, is played by Peter Dinklage. I'm joined by our own Serrano de Bergerac, Mark Ryle. Hello. Hi, John. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid I'm not the bearer of good news this week. Okay, okay. Well, listen, unfortunately, due to life's vagaries and vicissitudes and, and general, what would you say, aggravations, I didn't get to the cinema. Other, 
Words beginning with V. Yeah, I didn't get to the cinema at all this week, so you t- you picked a good week. To- yeah, so you're do- you're <laughs> going to do the heavy lifting on this, but no better yeah, man. Yeah. So let let's start with Scream, and can you just clarify something for listeners and for yeah. me? Is this like a reboot, a no. sequel, or it's what? It's a sequel. Is- it's a sequel. Okay. I think it's referred to as a requel. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what exactly that is. I guess it's a sequel that's a reboot of sorts, is it? May I? Who, who, who the se- hell knows? Sequel and the or, maybe. Yeah? I'm, I'm too old for this. I really okay. am. Okay, I've thought that once or twice before, but look, you're the you're the most we can afford. So, <laughs> <laughs> how? What? Where do you stand on Scream? I mean, I remember liking the first one, uh, and yeah. I liked the way they were kind of horror movies that had a bit of humor to them and. I, mm. maybe it's a strange thing to say but they weren't blood and guts i could see the appeal is what i'm saying yeah yeah I, to be honest i think i've i as far as i can recall i think i've only seen the first two and for me i think after the drew drew barrymore pr- prologue in the first movie i kind of think they went a bit downhill mm. um so i was I, I was never really a huge fan of the the scream series so i don't have any heavy investment in this sequel um it, it's kind of, the the new one starts with a prologue that's almost nearly identical to the the first scream. A teenager is home alone and gets a creepy phone call from Ghostface, who is the protagonist of the the scream franchise. And everyone will know Ghostface, and particularly the mask of Ghostface, because it's a Halloween staple now. It's the angular white ghost mask with the yeah. black eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and these have kind of turned from horrors into more whodunits. I mean, the whole mm. thing is really who who is in the mask. Um. Anyway, the the this Ghostface, whoever's in the mask this time, breaks in, um, stabs the teenager, and the then the stabbed teenager's estranged sister, who's played by Melissa Barrera, comes rushing back home to Woodsboro, which is the town where all of these are set, um, to be with her sister. But uh, the the sister is then hiding a family secret that links back to the events of the first movie, which dovetails nicely into a fresh killing spree and also the return of some legacy carriers like uh, characters like uh, Neve Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette. Yes, so David Arquette and Courtney Cox, who were once married uh, are, are and are no longer, are back playing the same characters from the first one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this, so we've had The Matrix, we've had Ghostbusters, we've had Halloween, <laughs> we've had Candyman. I mean, the, the list of nostalgia milking uh, belated sequels is just endless. Um, of course, uh, Wes Craven uh, sadly passed away in 2015 mm-hmm. and uh, two directors, Matt uh, Bettinelli Alpin and Tyler Gillett have stepped into Wes Craven's shoes with this one. They directed a movie called Ready or Not a few years back, which wasn't bad. They also directed a movie called The Devil's Jew back in 2014, which was one of the dumbest horrors I have ever sat through. And I have sat through a lot of dumb horrors. So um, I didn't have high expectations for this. But having said that, for the most part, uh, Scream, it's a right down the middle average teen slasher no more no less it's not awful it's not amazing and there's a new younger cast that aren't too annoying which in itself is is quite remarkable and you would probably recognize most of them vaguely from some tv show or other and it also it hits the ground running and it doesn't waste any time setting up some needlessly convoluted plot um Having said that, there are not there are no scares in this at all. It's not creepy. It's mm. it's it's very very unlikely to give anyone a sleepless night. It, it's a bit gory, so if you're not okay with with blood and guts, then maybe give it a pass. But but you know what? 
in in the main it's fine mostly but then the final act is one of the most extraordinary awful things that i've seen in a good long while because it's so badly put together or it's it's just it's it's just staggeringly and spectacularly abysmal the way it's wrapped up it's not just as dumb as a bag of hammers it's actually quite insulting to be quite frank um insulting in terms of insulting your intelligence like it gets it gets so meta that it ends up being more of a, a satire than the scary movie franchise was which was a satire of the scream franchise yeah. so it kind of ends up eating itself wow. um, this is script, very meta is is the fan service dialed up to 11 then in it i it, it's it's dialed up to 20 <laughs> you can keep it going and um, the thing that made the screen the first scream stand out from the crowd really at the time was that it was a horror with characters who knew all about the rules of horror and mm. um, they knew all of the cliches and they knew all of the tropes and it, it, it granted it, it didn't stop any of them from getting killed but they were aware of the rules yeah um, also there was a there was a certain novelty value to that at the time but it's been done to death since I've only really seen one movie that's done that knowing meta. We know the rules of horror thing. Well, and that's uh, the cabin in the woods. If you haven't Mm -hmm. seen the cabin in the woods, great movie. You're in for a treat. Yeah, it is a great movie. Um, but like this, this one, it gets, it, it's, it's just the, the way it's wrapped up. Right. I'm just, I, I, I'm so sick of these nostalgia-milking movies that use this winking self-referential meta-humor to just excuse shoddy filmmaking and lazy storytelling. Mm-hmm. And Scream ends up as a movie that that says, look at me, I'm so stupid and I know it. But just because a movie acknowledges the fact that it's stupid, it doesn't excuse the fact that it's stupid. And this, the script to this is just really lazy and shoddy. Um, but it wants to have it both ways. It keeps on bringing up movies like Hereditary and It, it Follows and The Babadook, like better movies. And mm. it, it talks about terms um, like elevated horror. And all it achieves really in the end was was to remind me of far better horror movies and also to make me wish I was watching something else. Mm, okay, so stupid is stupid, irrespective of how meta you're being. So yeah. it's passable for about three quarters of the way through yeah. and then the end really lets it down. It really does, yeah. And David Arquette, someone said I looked a bit like him once, actually. I'm still pondering that one. <laughs> can you can you see that? Uh, no? um, well, I suppose you're both uh, adult males of a, a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> I look just as much like him as I do Courtney Cox, I suppose. But uh, are, are the two of them good in it, or is it just like nothing They're, can I'd save say- this? Out of the three uh, legacy characters, if you like, I'd say mm. David Arquette probably has the most to do. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're they're all fine. It's funny. Look, seeing Neve Campbell, you, you'd wonder where she where she went. I mean, it's it's extraordinary that she's not in more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. So, what would you say stars wise for this requel that is cre- Scream? Unfor- like, unfortunately, the final act just ruined us. So I'm giving it a two. I'm just, I'm not okay. having this at all. Okay, you're not having it. That's fair enough. It's going to the back door, folks. That scream, which is in cinemas from this Friday, the 14th of January. Let's not bother with a clip of that scene as it was so bad. We'll play a clip of the <laughs> next movie shortly. But the next movie we're talking about is Serrano, Peter Dinklage mm. playing the famed role of Serrano de Bergerac, which has been on screen many times and indeed stage musicals and plays and things over the years. So... For people who don't know, just remind us what the story is generally of Serrano. 
So uh, the story is, uh, yeah, if you're unaware, uh, Joe Wright is directing Erica Schmidt's adaptation of her own stage play from 2018, which also starred Peter Dinklage in the title role. And in Schmidt's, Schmidt's version of the story, Dinklage's uh, diminished stature replaces the character's traditionally um, enlarged nose. Mm-hmm. It's still set in 17th century France, and Serrano is a dashing, swashbuckling captain of the guard. Um, Serrano has been friends with Haley Bennett's Roxanne since they were children, and he has also been in love with her for almost as long. But um, Roxanne falls in love with a novice soldier, Christian, who's played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. Um, Christian is handsome, but not too bright. Uh, Serrano is. So for some reason, he agrees to help Christian woo Roxanne using his words and also unfortunately, his singing. This is my old nemesis, the musical. (laughs) Um, As you know, I don't get on well with musicals, uh, apart from La La Land or if there are Muppets involved. (laughs) And, you know, in terms of the Serrano de Bergerac story, a lot of people, particularly of our generation, will know it's kind of retelling in the Steve Martin movie with Daryl Hannah, Roxanne, where he was the aforementioned big-nosed individual who helped a kind of dumb but handsome guy try and woo Daryl Hannah. And, yeah, I I had read that Peter Dinklage actually reprised the role from his, on Broadway or wherever he did it. So... We know you don't like musicals, but yeah. is there much to recommend this? Uh, I think the best. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been tons of versions of of Serrano de Bergerac. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah, as you, as you say, I'd say Roxanne is probably the best known one. I think the best thing about Serrano, this version of it, is that it it messes with the notion of what a leading man is or what a leading man should be, and casting uh, Peter Dinklage in the role is a brilliant idea, and it's probably the best idea this movie has going for it. Unfortunately, he's let down badly by the execution. Um, I, I would watch Peter Dinklage in anything. I think he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's utterly compelling and he's got this natural charisma that's just magnetic and I've, I've been a fan of his ever since he showed up in Living in Oblivion. Can I interject and say I 100% Absolutely. agree with you. He's one of the best actors working day from in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, in, in Game of Thrones. He he's just contains multitudes and he does world weariness well. He does charisma well. I, I just think he's brilliant. He is, like I said, he's just he has he's he's got a natural charisma that you just have to watch, you know. Yeah. Um, also, Ben Mendelsohn is another actor I would watch in anything. Yeah, uh, he plays the the villain in this. Uh, right. Geech, I think his name is, but he's one of those. Um, let's call him a just because villain. Why is he so okay. nasty? Oh, just because. Don't worry about that. Okay. Um, as a villain, he's very he's very poorly written. And okay. it's, it's almost pantomime level stuff. It's not been fleshed out. So really his actions and deeds don't really carry any, any emotional weight. And there are a couple of key points in this plot where you think, hang on a second. No, just no. Why is this person doing that? And why would anyone do that under these circumstances? Um, it does have a very, very inconsistent look and feel to it. It starts off as this very garish, uh, lured, Baz Luhrmann meets Terry Gilliam thing with everyone speaking in iambic pentameter, which I thought I was in for an entire movie's worth. Mm-hmm. But thankfully that that gets pushed by the wayside and it settles into this other thing. But throughout it, an awful lot of it just looks like a filmed stage musical. It all comes across as very um, static and set bound. Um, there's one extended 
take fight scene, which really made me sit up and take notice. But beyond that, it, I was I was I was aware constantly that what I was watching, I was watching something that had been staged with people who were acting with a capital A. And okay. ideally, that's really not what you should be thinking about when you're watching a movie. Yeah. So it's kind of pointless then. It's literally like they took the stage play and tried to it, make a film out of it. Uh, very much so, I would say. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which it, it's disappointing considering yeah. that the, the, like, the, there's an incredible pool of talent involved with this. The, the songs are written by Bryce and Aaron Dessner from The National. Mm-hmm. So I had high hopes. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the music, to be totally honest, I couldn't remember a note of this the second okay. it was over. And I also, it also has to be said that, that Peter Dinklage does not have a very strong singing voice. Okay. But and is the, is the music of musical type or is it more modern? Is it a Hamilton kind of musical or? No, thank God. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's not a Hamilton <laughs> sing what you see type. Um, it's more of a traditional musical. Uh, yeah. it's, I mean, yeah, it's just the, it's the, the problem is that the, the songs are just not memorable at all. Okay. And I think for me, Joe Rice is—he's kind of like Radiohead. He's now—I think he's directed more bad movies than good ones. Um, that's Oof. probably going to upset a lot of Radiohead. It was kind of upsetting me as well. But as I say, I need you on the show. So uh... well, it's the smallest <laughs> tale I'll die on. No, I think after stuff like <laughs> Darkest Hour and Pan and The Woman in the Window, I am really going to have to stop thinking. Oh, good, a Joe Wright movie. Uh, he's he's never going to direct anything that's as good as Atonement again. And I'm, I think I'm just going to have to accept that. Mm. Maybe, maybe. You didn't like Darkest Hour, no? No, I thought it was appalling. Okay. We are talking about the same one, the Winston Churchill one. Yeah, the, one, the, the Oscar, you? the multi-Oscar yeah. one. Yeah, okay. No, I'm just, yeah. just double checking. Okay, yeah, well, he's going terrible. down in flames tonight, folks. Okay, so what would you say, stars-wise, for Serrano? Um, I'm afraid it's another two. It just didn't work okay. for me. Okay. I quoted you last week when I described something as weak sauce. So this week, yeah. this is a, a week of weak sauce, isn't it? Next week, it will be better. I can almost guarantee it already. Yes, I think I have a feeling of that as well. Okay, well, listen, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, John. First he has too much heart and then not enough. You're jealous. Me? It's fascinating. You're both brilliant, but exact opposites in style. Christian is overt, passionate, fiery. Whereas I? You are are coded, witty, rueful. Coded? His words aren't better than yours, just differently put. But both are endlessly quotable. You know his letters by heart. Everyone. You will arrange the meeting. As ever, I am at your service. A clip there from Serrano, which is in cinemas this Friday, the 14th of January. And uh, Mark Royal gave it a disappointing, and he also gave a disappointing too, to Scream, the requel, as he called it. Anyway, we'll do it all again next week. Movies will be better next week, trust me. I've seen one of them, and I know what I'm talking about. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, Simply email screentime at newstalk.com or why not tweet me? John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 p.m. on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care.